beat, um, shipwrecked, what, five times, I think uh, it said, um, whipped 39 times. Um, so we read that, and the title of the series I want to bring you over the next three or four weeks is Dangerous Christianity. Dangerous Christianity. And we see there um, that in reading about Paul's experience, it certainly was. Certainly was dangerous. And history shows us that it's dangerous. Today's news shows us that it's dangerous. There's parts of the world where people are being martyred right now for their faith in Christ. They're losing their family. They're losing their incomes, they're losing their homes, they're being displaced because of their faith in Christ. Hopefully over the next three or four Sundays, um, we can get, I can get a little better handle on my role in this spiritual war. And so... Really, the next three or four Sundays are more for me than they are for you, but you're here, and so you can listen to my struggles. You can listen to the challenges that I've had and, are, and am having, and um, maybe join with me in trying to figure out how that we can be the best warriors for Jesus Christ that we can be. Father God, we, as we look at your word this morning, we are humbled by the testimony of those that have gone before us, the Apostle Paul and others, all the apostles, the great sacrifices that they made, and then the martyrs down through the ages for the cause of Christ, and then those today that are under great persecution because they've decided to put their trust in you. And so, Lord, we um, ask you to Help us understand where we are in this struggle. Help us to understand as a body of believers in a particular community here in this area, Shasta County, what is our part? Where do we fit in? And so, Lord, help us to look at the Scriptures and get a glimpse of what you would have for us in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians, uh, she read uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want to make a note there before we get to the book of Colossians, which we will get to, because the book of Colossians has challenged my heart and made me uncomfortable, and I would like you to be uncomfortable with me. In... Colossians, um, chapter 4, verse 16, he's commenting on some of the persecution he's had. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, I 
I don't know about you, but all those things that Millie Rose read in chapter 11 do not sound like light afflictions to me. They sound like very, very heavy afflictions. In fact, they sound like the kind of afflictions that as I look at my own life and I was in that kind of a position that Paul was in, just looking at from my life right here, I would say, you know what? I don't know that you folks need the gospel. <laughs> I, I've got other things to do. I'd like you to have the gospel, uh, but if you're going to beat me, uh, if you're going to persecute me, like, and all these, if I have to go through all those things, shipwrecked and snake bit and all the rest that Paul went through, uh, I don't know. I really kind of love you, but I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you just ought to read the Bible and figure it out yourself. That, that. You know, I don't think I'm overplaying that in my own life. I look at those situations, I said, really? And he calls them light afflictions. Light afflictions. Now, there's two ways to look at those, that list of things that happened to Paul in 11, chapter 11. You could look at that testimony and say, I don't know if I want in. Or you could look at it and say, wow, whatever that man has, I want. Because he looks at all those persecutions and beatings and all that trouble, and all that sacrifice. And whatever he has is so good that he calls all those things, oh, that's just light afflictions for the moment. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He is talking about a walk with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so personal and so dynamic in his life that those things are just another beating. Nuts. I thought I was through with those. You know? Another shipwreck. Oh, another day in the night. Lord, did you, really? Can't these boats float? We're going to Rome in prison? Really? Oh, okay. What, what do we got in Rome? What do you got for me there in Rome? What do you got for me in prison? What guy wielding the whip on my back is going to come to know the Savior because I am going to share Jesus in the midst of this with him. What a relationship with God. 
It is amazing. Turn with me to the Colossians. book of Colossians has been challenging me, and uh, we'll, we'll go in and out of that in the next uh, few weeks, sharing some of these thoughts. Um, Paul also says that in Colossians chapter 124, just staying with the same opening idea, he says, now I rejoice, Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share to fill up what is lacking on, on, on behalf of Christ's body, on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What he's saying is Christ isn't here anymore. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And his body is being called out. The church is being called out. People are going to become saved. And, and as we know from Scripture, it says the gates of hell are not going to stand against that. God is going to have his elect. God is going to have his people. And he's going to call them out. And they're going to be called the church. And Paul says that I rejoice in my sufferings because I, Christ is gone so I can fill up what is lacking or what he would keep on doing in, in afflictions. So I'll keep on suffering. He suffered, I'll keep on suffering on behalf of the church. And I rejoice in that. Wow. I've read... I read, uh, well, uh, let me share an article. Uh, it's in the latest Billy Graham magazine, uh, Division, Decision magazine, this, this last one that just came. Joseph back home stands strong in the fight for biblical values. Uh, this is at the beginning of the article. He says, do I want to do this or not? He wondered, sitting with friends in, the late, in late 2008 at an Aberdeen, Washington coffee shop. The 30-year-old attorney put his dilemma into words. I don't know that I want to be known as the, the anti-gay marriage guy in the state of Washington. But as back home considered whether or not to accept the offer to become president of the Family Policy Institute of Washington, he sensed God saying, what I want you to do is surrender your reputation. Got a job for you. It's not about you. It's about me. I want you to surrender your reputation. In the last part of the article, this is what he says, and this stabbed me a little. One of the most common questions we get when it comes to supporting our efforts, and their efforts are defending um, any way they can, uh, Christians who are maybe going to court or being harassed in some way or another, come alongside them, encourage them. One of the most common questions we get when it comes to supporting our efforts is, is anybody going to know about this? You know, if we join with you, 
Who's going to know about it? Back home says, so rather than seeing the florist and the baker and the print shop cases and saying, hey, we need to defend them, that's my brother, that's my sister. It is, wow, I'm going to make sure that this never happens to me. So everybody is retreating inside their little shell, building the walls of their bunker a little thicker, and deciding that as long as the bully can't see them, they're going to leave the bully alone. The retreat of the church is the biggest burden on back home's heart. I don't think every person in the world is called to be frontline activists on these things, he says. But the general culture within the church, and certainly within the pastorate, is one of sadness that this is happening, but they have absolutely no energy to be part of the process. <clears throat> and then he says this. I think the church is completely entrapped by their desire to have the same people who hate God like them. Hmm. There is a battle going on out there. There, there, there is a war going on. And those are some issues that are out there. But, but the bigger issue, really, for all of us is that we have friends and we have family members and we have neighbors that are sinking in the quicksand of sin. And we need to be a light. We need to engage in this war. And so... Um, share with you a few thoughts about that and a personal testimony as I, as I go here. Um, last fall, I kind of had one of those times in my life where the desire to relax was gaining a lot of momentum and stronger than my desire to sacrifice. My desire to, well, you know, I'm in my mid-70s. My gosh, it's, it's time to play golf and, and um, you know, get, get out of the, get, don't, don't get so engaged in the battle. And what I was finding in my life was true that time in the Word, time in personal devotions and, and study for my own life was not very regular, not very consistent. And there was a, a dryness, um, a questioning of, Really, you're, you're healthy, you're pretty mentally stable. Um, for sure, your memory's not very good, but that's okay. Other people can just keep repeating their names. 
You know, that's always funny. You know your name. Just keep repeating it. I, you know, why do I have to know it? <laughs> I know mine. Um, no, and you go, hmm. Well, there's a condition that Christians can get in and whole churches can get in that is described in Revelation chapter 2. Turn with me there. Revelation chapter 2. This is the letter to the churches. Oh boy, which one are you going to write to? Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. This is Spirit of God telling John what to write. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they're not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now that's a wonderful thing to be written about you. That's tremendous. I, I want that to be written about me. I want it to stop right there, but if you've cheated and gone on a little bit, he has something else to say. He has one of those nevertheless or but things to say. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Well, now that's interesting because these people are persevering under persecution. They're, perse they're persevering in good works. They are studying the scriptures. They're, they're studying so they know a false apostle, a false teacher when they see one. And they're, and they're continuing on there and they're not giving up. That they've lost their first love. Now that's an interesting dilemma. Because it doesn't seem consistent with what would happen. But what will happen, you, me, them, will run on what they knew, what they know. They'll run on the relationship they had, the close relationship they had with Christ. They'll get their doctrine straight. They'll get their teaching good. They'll persevere. But if they don't stay close to the head, if they don't stay close to Jesus Christ, it will slowly begin to give away. And we see it in France. We see it in England. We see it here. Where once... A vital Christian ministry 
or church begins, something begins to wane. And what they have for a while is still pretty good. The trappings are still there. There's still good works. There's still ministry. But the energy begins to leave because they've left their first love. Now, what's he say about that? But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you need to do first. Remember where you were with Jesus Christ. Remember how important he was to you. Daily walk with him. Daily fellowship with him. Trusting him in the little things as well as the big things. A close walk. Time with him. And so, getting back to the story of me... I said, well, I think what I had better do, and everybody can react to this situation differently as the Lord leads them, but I said, what I better, had better do is I better begin to memorize Scripture. I better begin to memorize God's Word. I can remember my grandfather when I was probably a, in junior high, and he was probably in his 60s or maybe even older, um, in our Sunday school, showed up one day and quotes this very long passage of Scripture. I don't remember what it was now, but it was like a chapter or two, probably out of the Psalms. I don't remember. And then he said, I'm an old duffer. And so you young people uh, ought to be able to memorize scripture if I can. And that's been sitting there in the back of my mind for some time. And so I said, you know what? I need to draw close to God. And I think the, for me, the way to do that is to go to basic, go back to basic training again. Go back. It's like he's telling us here. Go back. Now, if you're going to be in the battle, and if you are going to sign up for the military, what's the first thing they do? They send you to basic training. Now, basic training in the military, I wasn't in the military, but I think basic training in the military teaches you skills. But before it teaches you skills, or as it's teaching you skills, it teaches you two very important things love for your country and a hate for the enemy or at least an acknowledge of how dangerous the enemy can be to your country. Love for your country. Know the enemy. So basic training in Christianity is basically what has been said here in Revelation, go back to your first love. Go back, learn how to love God. 
And so if you go back to Colossians again with me, and uh, maybe that's where you still are, but uh, I'll turn there. So I decided, well, okay, Jerry, uh, start memorizing Scripture, and, and that way these things can be in your heart, and that way you can think on them day and night, and that way you can, you can get back to um, loving God, loving Christ the way you, way you want to, uh, be enthused for the battle. And so what happens when you go back and get in the book of Colossians, it's basically the first two chapters are basic training Christianity. That's what it is. Um, Paul was writing to uh, the Christians in a little town, Colossia. And it, it's, a, it's a small town by now. It was a very large town. And they rerouted routed the road around it, and uh, so it went down in its stature. Laodicea um, grew. Uh, There's another little town there. I forget the name of it. Uh, they became a, a little bigger, but this town was a little smaller. And it's an interesting place. I went there the other day. You know, we can all do that now. I can Google. I know how to Google. I know how to take a virtual ride. And where that, where this little town of Colossia was, uh, is it's just fields right now. There's no no buildings, no anything. But it's in a very beautiful area in Turkey. Uh, high mountains. Um, rich valley and what had happened there was the Romans were in charge and so there's Gentile Roman citizens in this town but because of the industry especially the sheep industry the wool industry the clothing industry uh, a lot of Jewish families moved in that area as well and so what you have in this church in this town and then ultimately in the church is a mixture of paganism and Judaism. Well, they're all doing very well. It, it, it's, a, it's a prosperous little place. And it's one of those things, it's, it's, a, it's a long ways from Jerusalem, so you don't have a lot of oversight there by the Jewish leaders. And it's a long ways from Rome and it's, it's even off of the main road now, so you don't have a lot of oversight and overbearingness from the Romans, and so what you have is a community where people were probably very comfortable. Uh, they were farming, they were uh, dyeing clothes because there was some uh, uh, mineral deposits there that helped you be able to dye, dye the, the wool, and uh, it was just a little ways to the main thoroughfare that you could that you could sell, and and so it it just looks like at this point in time that it was a very comfortable place to go and raise your family and and uh, practice a little religion and go on with life. And then one of their people, for one reason or another, we don't know why, 
went to Ephesus. Name is Epaphras. He went to Ephesus. When he went to Ephesus, who was there but the crazy missionary Paul? This guy that gets beat and all these other things. Paul was in Ephesus for three years. So we don't know how, at what time, Epaphras got up there and met him, but whether Epaphras was a salesman or whether he had his own business or what, it, what he was, we don't know. But he got up there and he heard the gospel and changed his life. Now he comes back to town and begins telling people about Jesus. Well, that began to change their lives. And so it became, began to change the life of the Gentiles and it began to change the lives of the, of the Jews and they began to come together in a church, the body of Christ, start meeting and studying and uh, experiencing their Christianity together. But they brought pagan things and Jewish things into this mix. And Epaphras sees this falling apart, or not falling apart, but he sees the error of this, and so he heads off. By then, Paul is in prison in Rome. And he goes, there's some, some estimation between 1,000 and 1,300 miles to clear to Rome to talk to Paul about what's going on. And Paul writes this letter to him and outlines their basic Christianity again. He gives them who Christ is, who they are in Christ what Christ did for them. So what he's doing is he's bringing, he's making sure that they understand their first love. And so, um, what ends up for us is instruction on how to get back to your first love or at least that is for me. So, if you were to come to me with some marriage problem, and you said she does this, she does that, she says this, she does that, she doesn't do this, she doesn't do that. And she says he does this, but he doesn't do that, and he does this, and he does that, and, he, and we are having trouble. We're having arguments. Now, if I take you to a list of things that you should do, you, that you've got to be more this, you've got to be more that, you've got you to quit doing this, you've got to quit doing that, and you look at me and you say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I've been told that, and I know that. But, uh, it just irks me because she, it irks me because he, yeah. So what's the problem? You gotta go back to your first love. Me telling you that 
you got to stop doing something or you got to start doing something that you're not doing, you say, yeah, I, I feel bad about that. It makes me guilty. I, I make you feel guilty. Well, I want to tell you something about guilt. Guilt is a good indicator that something's wrong. It is a lousy motivator. It's a lousy motivator. How many times have you felt guilty about something that you were going to change or do or do differently and you, you uh, and you get right back into it. Guilt's not a good motivator. Guilt's not a great motivator with our kids or our family situation. What is a great motivator? What is the biggest, greatest motivator we have? It's love. It's love. That's what it is. Now, how do we rekindle that in a marriage, or how to re rekindle that in our spiritual life? We do that by thinking, let's take the marriage, Okay, who is she? What are the things that I was attracted to about her? What are her good qualities that I appreciate? And I start making lists of the things that I know to be a fact about her, her character, her quality, the things I used to enjoy, whatever it is. And you start making those lists, and you start thanking God for those things. And there's an amazing things happen, and I've seen it over and over again in marriage counseling. Pretty quick, we start getting a new respect and a new vision for that person. Someone has said, the more you know about Christ, the more you'll value him. And the more you value him, the more you obey him. So when I look at the battle that's out there, all around us, and, I'm talk and I think to myself, how can I be engaged in it? By the way, last Sunday, uh, Glenn brought us a fantastic sermon on the, some of the issues that are there today. And I want to talk about that more in the, in the Sundays to come because I want to talk about the rules of engagement in this war and I want to talk about some of the means of engagement in this war. And then I want to, uh, toward the end of, our, end of the month, I want to hopefully talk about um, the supply depot, the the home base, uh, how, how as a body of believers in a church do we um, assist, motivate, help motivate, care, give vision uh, for this battle? Uh, what, what's the basic training that needs to happen in our lives? Um, I had a good conversation with 
Mr. Drew, I call him Mr. Drew because when he stands up, he looks down on the top of my head. He must be, what is he, 6'8", something. And uh, I, I had, we, he and I had a nice little conversation the other evening, last Friday night. We talked about some of these things. What are, what are great motivators? What are the, some, some of the things that motivate us? But when I look around at our young people, I'm going, this is a battle. Where's the adrenaline? Where's the wounded soldier? Where's the risk? Where's the challenges that our young people can get their teeth into and get out there in the battle for Jesus? Well, if I want them to do that, then the problem is that I need to do it too. And so uh, consequently, back to the basics. But how do we learn to love Christ? Well, read with me a little bit here in Colossians. Now, I'm not going to try and... Uh, I've got the first two chapters fairly well memorized, but I'm no way am I going to sit in front of you and try to do it. I, 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 it wouldn't happen. But um, start with uh, verse 3 in Colossians. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. And the last time I was preaching, we made quite a to-do about what the gospel is. It's five words, and you can say, Oh, yeah, what are those five words again? You can give the gospel in five words. Oh, boy, we have a short memory. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Huh? Who had it? They had it? Yeah. When the gospel came to these people... What did it, what was the main impact? Their sins were forgiven. Their sins were forgiven. Where were their sins going to take them? And I'm not going to take time to rehearse that because we got a, we, we got some communion to take and whatnot today, but you, you can look them up. Where, where's it going to take them? Revelation chapter 20? <laughs> You start separating the goats, the unbelievers. Where do they end up? They end up in hell. The Lord tells us, don't fear the one that can destroy the body. Fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul in hell. You see, one of the ways to recapture my love for the Lord is to realize where I was going. And he snatched me out of that. Why? I don't know that. But his love does that. He called me. He chose me. He saved me. I responded to that call. I was heading for eternal separation from God. 
I was heading for eternal damnation, eternal punishment. I was heading for the place that was prepared for Satan and the fallen angels, and I was going to end up in there with them. And he said, no, Jerry, come to me. Now, how did he do that? How, how was he able to do that? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven and what you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is a constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even that has it been doing in you since the day you heard of it. And have you understood the grace of God in truth? You understood the grace of God in truth. And that grace and that truth is explained in the rest of this, these two chapters and in all parts of the New Testament. He became sin for me so that I could have his righteousness. I made a deal. I made a deal with the Lord. And fortunately, he made a deal with me. He said, let's trade. I'll give you my righteousness if you'll give me your sin. I'll take it to the cross. Seriously? What's the catch? No catch. All you have to do is believe it. All you have to do is trust me. Yeah, but I'm not worthy. That, that sounds, that's crazy. That I would be righteous for no other reason than you take my sin and pay for it on the cross. That's crazy. That's a crazy bargain. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. The mighty Son of God, the creator of the universe, the holy God says, tell you what I'll do. I'll become sin for you and give me your righteousness if you will give me your sin and trust me. And if you were to look in heaven right now, if I could take you there and transfer you there, you, we could open the Lamb's Book of Life, and my name would be written in there, and you know what would be there by my name? This guy is perfect. <laughs> huh? This guy is absolutely righteous. Is that a deal? There is no better deal than that. But oh, the love of God that would let his son become sin for us. Wow, that's a lot of love. And when I go back and I begin to look at these things and I begin to memorize the scriptures, when I begin to think on them, and it doesn't come easy, but after a while it begins to sink in. This is not about doing service or ministry or anything else. It's about the love of Christ for me. 
what motivates me? That love. We'll wrestle through this in the next three weeks together. Our Father, my God, we thank you. We thank you for your love that's demonstrated so unique in such a unique way. Such an unbelievable way. Would there have been another way? No, there really wouldn't have been because your justice had to be satisfied. Your righteous anger had to be appeased. The judgment had to be met, and you took it from me. Lord, I thank you, and I pray that if there's anyone in this building that has not come to you to make that exchange, that they will certainly think about it. They will certainly ponder it. Really. Can I have my sins forgiven in exchange and take the righteousness, the rightness, the perfectness of Christ for eternity on my life? Absolutely. And then we'll spend the rest of our lives here, Lord, on earth, trying to work that out and figure it out and try to line up with it because it's already done. Lord, help me to act it out in my life. Lord, I pray for anyone here that has not reached that decision that they will certainly consider that this morning in Christ's name. Amen.